Welcome to the Open Door Policy. Each week on this podcast, we sit down with a different guest and talk about a letter. Archbishop Vigneron's Unleash the Gospel Pastoral Letter. Let's do it. Let's talk about All it. Right. Be about it. Each guest we have on this show we think is living it out in a new and exciting way. This week we talk to our first guest, Deacon John McKenzie, who has lived in many different places around the world, was a monk for a while, and is now back here in his home of Detroit, ready to become a priest. Welcome this evening, Deacon John. Yes. Now, you are a deacon, but you're not a permanent deacon. You are well. what? I am a transitional yeah. deacon, but I am also a permanent deacon because once you receive orders... You can't, can't take them away. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Can't delete gotcha. them. So, Got him. but no, yeah, they they we call it transitional deacon because within a year's time I'll be ordained uh, to the presbyterate, the priesthood. So, yes. And in Detroit, that always takes place on the vigil of Pentecost. Yes. Uh, when is that? This coming that, year. This coming year, it will be June eighth of two thousand nineteen. And I have to say, like Detroit, the fact that we do it like that, I think it's one of the best things because it means your Thanksgiving Mass is on Pentecost Sunday. Yeah. Always. Always. Really what, cool. I mean, that's so beautiful, right? Amen, man. It's really yes. cool. Um, just to get to know you better, what we're going to do to start out is what's called rapid fire questions. Yes. So we'll ask you 20 questions quickly. Okay. Just answer spur of the moment and we'll go from there. I'll are try you, my best. Are you ready? I am so ready right Are now. Okay. The ready? cider. Yeah. yeah. Okay. First question. What did you eat for breakfast? I didn't have breakfast. Uh, and what is something that you remember from your grandparents' house? My bedroom. And what is your favorite band? I have to say right now, it's Kanye West. Are you a morning, a morning or a night person? Morning. Totally morning person. And what was your dream job when you were a kid? I wanted to work in the music industry. What's one thing that really annoys you? People who talk in the morning time in the sacristy. Okay, great. <laughs> Deacon John, you've just won a road trip for the weekend. Where are you going to go? Who are you going to take with you? I will go to New York because I love New York. I would take my cousin Malik in Florida because he likes to have a lot of fun, but he also will respect me when I need to go to bed and when I'm too tired to hang out with him. What's one thing that's been on your mind lately? A paper that I needed to finish. Where's your happy place? My room and the chapel. Deacon John, if your house was on fire <laughs> and all the pets and people were safe, uh, what are three things you'd grab before running out? I grab my passport, my global entry card, that way I can get back into the U.S. quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and I would probably bring my jacket. Mm, All right. Good. Uh, what would you tell middle school John McKenzie? Just chill, pray, everything will work out. Sounds like uh, Padre Pio. Uh, what's <laughs> the last photo? <laughs> what's the last photo you took? Last photo I took. I think I took a photo with my classmates the other day. I think. Who's one of the first people you ever met who were really sold out for Jesus? I would say my grandmother. And uh, Deacon John, what's an award you won in middle school or high school? Wow, that's I won most admired and best dress. All right, wow. and we can testify to best dress here. <laughs> yeah. uh, I got one more question before yes. I give it to Danielle. Who in your family has had an impact on your faith? My grandmother. When was the last time that you cried? I know I cried when my grandmother died. I keep talking about my grandmother. 
I don't remember the last time I cried. Was it this year? Probably wasn't. What was your favorite movie of all time? My favorite movie of all time? Right now, I have to say it's Lethal, The Lethal Weapons. Okay. <laughs> They've been coming back up, and like on Sundays, I've been watching them. Mm. Riggs! Yo! Hey, hey Riggs! Uh, hey, Riggs! Hey, 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 hey Riggs! And yeah. if you weren't in this line of work, yes. slash vocation, mm-hmm. where would you be? I would probably be working with a friend of mine in Chicago uh, in his media company. Yeah. And if your life was made into a movie, what genre would it be? And who would play you? Oh, I would definitely say a love story. Oh, wow. And who would play me? Probably, I don't know, maybe Michael B. Jordan. I don't know. But I'm not buff like (laughs) Michael B. Jordan, but it'd be nice to be like that. (laughs) It's good. I don't know. No, that's awesome. Would you consider yourself more of a dog person or a cat person? Probably more of a dog. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Cool. Awesome. You have successfully answered all yes. 20 of our rapid fire Great. questions. So Great. let's just talk about a few of those. You mentioned your grandma mm-hmm. a few times. She had a yeah. big impact on your life, it sounds like. Oh, Father Steve, she was so inspirational in my life. Like, even being back here in Detroit, like my grandmother. So I grew up with my, uh, partially with my mom and stepdad. Uh, here in Detroit. And then I moved in St. Louis in like 93, 94 with my grandparents. And so like she was so impactful in my life. Uh, She was also a councilwoman in the town we lived lived in in St. Louis, in St. Louis County called Berkeley, which is actually in the borders with Ferguson. I know people have heard about Ferguson Mm -hmm. and all that. So my my grandmother was very much a pillar in the community. So just seeing her... um, uh, as I was growing up and as a young man, just seeing her impact on other people's lives. Like we would have strangers over like every day, like she would be cooking for people. You didn't know them. They just show up to your house. And so, yeah, she was very impactful uh, in my life. What was your grandmother like? Oh, just love. Just Mm -hmm. like she was um, kind of a heavy set lady, you know, she wasn't scared to be real with you either. Um, a lady that went through a lot in her life and yet she became the pillar of her own family. So for me, you know, when I look at what I want to be when I grow up or I am growing up now, I'm 37 years old. My gosh, (laughs) uh, I always look to her as like, what would she do in this type of situation? So yeah, my grandma, I loved her so much. Her name was Aloha Keely. Aloha. Mm -hmm. Oh, how beautiful. We never get too old. That we're grown up <laughs> yeah. in the way we look at our grandparents, yeah, exactly. right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Something that I thought was really interesting is you said um, if your life was a movie, it would be a love story. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Especially, it's especially interesting coming from a guy who's going to be a priest. A yeah. seminarian yeah. getting ready to be ordained a priest. Yeah, because it's all, I mean, God is love, right? So, um, you know, just, just so you know, like for me, St. John the Apostle is a big inspiration. In fact, I'm actually, uh, as you guys know, my my legal name is not John. It's Jahan is my legal name. But actually on Friday, uh, God willing, uh, I will be officially changing my name to John. And that's the name that I had when I was a religious and um, in the monastery. But yeah, he's the he's the apostle that shows us that Jesus, that God is love. And so that's why I say a love story. And yes, in high school, I was in love and partially in college, I was in love. And so I'm always falling in love with with God as well. So a love, why not a love story? Yeah, (laughs) that's great. Yeah. Uh, Middle school, John McKenzie. 
Just chill, man. Oh Just my chill. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on there? Oh, there was so much going on. So like I said, I moved from Detroit to St. Louis. My mom and stepdad at the moment were uh, going through a separation and that was a bit hard on me. So I went to St. Louis for the summer. It was just supposed to be for the summer, just to chill, you know. And it turned out to be a year and it turned out to be two years in there, you know, obviously doing middle school. And so, you know, I was just I was getting used to this new environment. And I had always in my life two sets of friends. I had uh, very negative friends and I had very good, positive friends. Uh, from the church, the the guys I played basketball with, with at the at the uh, Saint Alphonsus Rock Catholic Church, um, but then I also had uh, the negative people, like uh, some people that were in gangs and things like that. And so my struggle between these two uh, types of friends in my life was that that's what it was like in middle school for me. Wow. So just keeping it real for you. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. No, that's and, awesome. And you said that you remember the bedroom is it the bedroom from that house yeah yeah what's memorable well just because it's set on the driveway so like i said my grandmother would have so many people Hmm. over so i would just see these people come up to the house you know so it was just the way it was placed i would also say the kitchen too because my grandmother so she would always cook for us like so i stayed with my it was myself my grandmother my grandfather and then another cousin my older cousin and you know, us three boys, though we kind of knew how to cook, like my grandmother would make sure she cooked dinner when she comes home from like the office or some type of campaigning or whatever social event she was doing in the community. She would always make sure or even if she was going out of town. So like she would she would prepare things or buy food because my grandfather, when she was away, he would only fix toast with peanut butter and banana and put it in the oven and say that was food. And then my older cousin would fix uh, Rice Krispie treats. So she just always provide and she would always get upset because she would always want make sure that I ate well, but they never fed, fed, fed me well. So, so. so you weren't yeah. going hungry when grandma was around. I wasn't going hungry, but I wasn't eating right when yeah. she wasn't around. So, Danielle, have you ever seen the Lethal Weapon movies? Honestly, can you just like give? So I have three brothers. Yeah. So like maybe I've like walked in when they're watching them. Can you like give me a rundown though? I've never seen the Lethal Weapon movie. I got six brothers. Wow. Never seen Lethal yeah. Weapon. So there's one through four. Nice. Uh, Mel is there Gibson. a best one? The best one is the first one mm. with Mel Gibson just go downhill. and Danny Glover. I actually met wow. Danny Glover once. Ah. Uh-huh. It's so it's so funny at the airport in Rome. Yeah, like. <laughs> Of all places, I he was working on a film, and I think he was going in the Vatican archives or something like. Anyway, yeah. Um. So the first, the first Lethal Weapon is mm. my favorite one. All right. So we a have some classic. homework to do to yeah. watch Lethal Weapon. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, uh-huh. Thanks, Deacon. You did a great job on rapid fire questions. So my testimony. Uh, I grew up in Detroit initially. I was born in. 81, so I'm 37 years old now. I'm an old man. Um, but I grew up here in Detroit, uh, mainly Redford, Michigan is where I grew up on the west side. There's a priest here, Father Fox. We're from the same city, actually. Father Charlie um, Fox. Father Charlie Fox, that's right. We're from the same town. But uh, my mom and dad separated early on, and my mom remarried an, an Italian-American 
Um, and growing up with him, he's the reason why I became Catholic. So, uh, my mom was not Catholic. My dad was not Catholic either. And I went to Our Lady of Grace, just right across the street, uh, from our house in Redford. So that's in Dearborn Heights. How old were you when you I became was, Catholic? Yeah, I was, uh, well, I started, you know, the classes because I was at, in Catholic school. Yeah. So the nuns, and I don't even know the order of these nuns, but I remember there was the principal, Sister Michelle, Sister Helen, and they just had such an impact on my life as a little kid. Um, just their testimony, just their, the way of life. Like you could just tell they were just really good women, you know, and I would imagine they were living a very spiritual life in the convent. The convent was just right across the street from the school. So with that and then with some of the students there who uh, were Catholic, I would go to mass with them, obviously with the school. And it just, I remember one day I went into the church and there was this uh, image of our Lord in the in the Blessed Sacrament Chapel. And it was one of those images that uh, changes. We don't see those anymore, but like, 80s and 90s, you saw them everywhere. Like a hologram? Yeah, like kind of like, uh, yeah, I guess they're called a hologram where it changes. So it went from like the resurrected Christ, mm-hmm. like that, the beautiful image of the Savior, to the um, Shroud of uh, Torino, of Turin, um, where, you know, you see the image of, of our Lord crucified. And I was looking at that image and I just felt, or maybe I heard a voice say, you know, become Catholic. So I, I remember telling my mom, I said, you know, I think uh, I want to become Catholic. And Were you guys practicing some kind of faith experience before? Actually, then, to be quite honest, my mom was atheist. Wow. Uh, probably more agnostic than atheist. But she would say atheist, and I only learned later after studying philosophy and theology, she was more than likely yeah. uh, agnostic. Um, but uh, she's she's most recently has found faith in Jesus, and they're hopefully... Uh, eventually, we'll see uh, how deep that faith uh, goes. So there's still hope there. But anyway, I told my mom, and she was very supportive. Um, I told the school, obviously, they were very supportive. And Easter of, I think it was 1993, I was baptized into the church. And I have to say, I had thought about priesthood early on. Wow. Did RCIA. um, And then in, I think it was 93, 94, uh, my mom and stepdad were going through a kind of terrible separation, and that's when I went to St. Louis. And I would have to say, once I got to St. Louis, it was summertime, you know, I just kind of lost my faith in a way. I was just like, what happened to all of the stuff that I was doing at the Catholic school and all of that, you know, going to Mass? I would serve Mass. I would actually serve at Our Lady of Grace. I would serve the early morning mass, wow. then the mid-morning ma- mass, because I was right across wow. the street. Wow. Two of them. Yeah. So I And I literally thought I was going to become a priest when I was a kid. And uh, it was just great to see. And I had two really good pastors that really like supported the young guys who were serving at the mass. I mean, some really great priests. So I just thank God for that, like just having some really good priests early on and also uh, some really good sisters uh, to, to support that, uh, my faith. So anyway, going to St. Louis, you know, I'm in middle school, a uh, young fellow, just kind of lost and really didn't have a church to go to there. Uh, but then I told my grandmother that I wanted to play basketball. 
And so she said, if you want to play basketball, you got to go to church. Wow. And she was like, um, you know, since you're Catholic, she's not, she was Presbyterian. She said, since you're Catholic, I'm going to take you to, uh, was it St. Alphonse's The Rock Church? She knew the priest because the priest was a family friend of ours. And there they had a basketball team, but in order to be on the team and play, you had to go to mass. And at each match, you had to stand up and present yourself. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to play. <laughs> so wow, so, so your like Presbyterian a, grandmother a yeah. is forcing you to go to Catholic to, church to mass, yes. so that you can play basketball. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. great. Yes. So there's another story I wanna, I'm going to share about my grandmother in that regard. Uh, so middle school goes by. I'm playing basketball. I'm going to mass, you know. Um, but I have to say I really didn't have much faith then, you know. Um then I go to high school, and I have to say that, um, yeah, once again, talk about having some really good friends and some really bad friends. High school was the same for me, you know. Um, so I had some friends that used to drink a lot, used to get into a lot of nonsense. And then I had friends that were working, that were working towards uh, going to college and all of that. So I just, I really thank God that I was able to see, like, both sides so I wasn't this or that because it's really good to have that 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 experience in a way. I mean, not to participate in sin, but at least to have that experience and understand where people are coming from. Um, so I started actually dating a lovely young lady um, at the time, and I really thought we were going to get married. Uh, she was a class below me. I remember the day that I got her number and <laughs> it was the yeah. last day of school. Cause I was so scared Yeah. every day I looked at her. I was like, Oh, I wish and I could talk to her rejected? more. Then yeah. You have to look at her the rest of the school year. Exactly. Yeah. And, so exa- and no cell phones. Right? And no, and no yeah. cell You're calling phones. the home. You're calling the home. You're calling the mom and dad and everybody. Yeah. So anyway, last day of school, I was able to, to, you know, get her number. We talked the whole summer. I come back. So I used to come back to St. Uh, to Detroit from St. Louis during the summer times. My first job, though I was in St. Louis for the semesters, my first job was the summertime here in Detroit at the Marriott with some friends of mine. I tell that story because after high school, uh, she, um, like I said, we were really thinking about uh, getting married, but she was really against like the Catholic faith in a way. And I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't really understand my faith at this point. So thanks to the internet and thanks to uh, EWTN, they had this thing called Catholic Answers. In fact, yeah. if you search my name up, you could still see some questions that I used to ask. Wow. And, um, you know, I started to discover our faith again because we would have these arguments because I'm like, well, at least I think, you know, if we have kids, our kids have to be Catholic. And she's like, no. So anyway. So, so are you going to church at this time? I'm, I'm just kind of like sometimes never at this at this point i'm like slowly finding my faith okay so as she um is kind of going against the catholic church i'm starting to learn about the catholic church so we're having these in-depth conversations about religion and i'm like learning all of this stuff like this great stuff about the pope about the history of the church about the eucharist about the bible and that really got me to want to go to church again. Yeah. Um, so there was this older lady, Mexican lady at my job. I was, I was a busboy for this really nice steakhouse. And, um, she said, why don't you come to uh, visit my church and I'll introduce you to the youth director. And I went to the church, St. John and James, not too far from my house. 
and I just I fell in love with the mass again. Mm-hmm. And here I am sitting next to this, I don't know, 70, 80 year old lady who brought me here. And I'm like, why am I why am I coming to church? Like, what is going on? But I just knew that I had to be there. And they had a small chapel, a private chapel of Eucharistic adoration. So you can go anytime. They gave me the code and I would just go up there sometimes and just pray and just sit before the blessed sacrament and just, you know. So, so John, you're in, you're in college. You're out of high school at this time. Well, at this time, I'm, I'm just out of high school. Okay. So just out of high school, I start to refine my faith. Um, then I still wasn't for sure, like what to do. Should I, uh, go to the seminary? Should I, I don't, I didn't know what to do. Right. So the girl is out. The girl is out at this mm-hmm. point. Another young lady comes into the picture and she is Catholic mm-hmm. and she's a little bit older than I am. Uh, and she's ready to like, you know, basically settle down a little bit. Yeah. And for me, there was like something in my heart, like there's, there's something else I think God is calling me to. And I didn't know what that was at the time. But I knew that God was calling me to do something. I remember my pastor at the time in St. Louis said, you know, Jahan, I think you're either going to be a really good layman or you're going to be a good priest. Yeah. And it just settled in me like, I think maybe God is calling me to the priesthood. And I remember reading like the fathers of the church on the Eucharist and all of this. And I'm just like, I just felt comfortable with thinking about the priesthood, but I didn't know what to do. And then... Unfortunately, we had those first waves of scandals that came in 2002, you know, and at the time I was just like, I don't think I would ever want to join a seminary. So maybe God isn't calling me to the priesthood because I, I, you know, I don't know what's going on. All of these scandals you're, you're hearing about. So a friend of mine who was a Jesuit at the time, he became my spiritual director uh, he suggested that I go to Rome and study at this place called the Casa Balthazar. It's a uh, uh, a house that was formed under uh, then Cardinal Ratzinger and some of his friends and all of that. Just a discernment house for young men uh, throughout the whole world. Uh, you, you spend two years there. Were there other Americans there? So that's the funniest thing. I got there and there was one other first generation Mar- American while I was there, everyone else were from everywhere else in the yeah. world, literally Vietnam, um, uh, France. Uh, I think there was one Italian, yeah, one Italian French guy uh, from from the east uh, Eastern Bloc of, of Europe, all of these various places. And our common language was Italian. So I, I had to immerse myself immediately into the Italian language as I'm discerning my vocation. So I'm, I'm going kind of fast, but it's just just to slow up a bit. What drew me when I left uh, uh, my last year of high school, and this is the other story from my grandmother, is so Pope John Paul came to St. Louis in 1999. And I remember this day, my grandmother scored two tickets. And she said, come on, baby, up here, and, you know, come visit. <laughs> come on, come up here. Yes, aloha, right? So many <laughs> yes, times. she has. Clutch. And she said, come on, baby, and uh, come visit the Pope with me. Oh, my God. And I was like, sure. How can you say no to your right. mom, your grandmother, right? right. So yeah. I uh, I told her yes, and then she said we have to get up at 4 a.m. And I was like, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> like, who gets up at 4 a.m., right? But um, I did it, and when the Pope came out, 
it was like a whole new life change for me. Mm-hmm. A whole new opening of like who God was, who Jesus was, who, uh, why we even have a bishop of Rome. Like the, it just opened up a new world when he came out. Here's this frail man in this, the Pope mobile, yeah. right? I mean, literally. And I'm thinking like, here I am 20 something years old, like this old guy from Rome. Like, what is this? And it just, it just really opened my, my eyes and my heart, I would say. So that's when I really started to think about what is God calling me to. So anyway, fast forward, I'm in Rome, I'm discerning my vocation, and I really felt called to a life of prayer. I love the fathers of the church. I love the beauty of the Catholic liturgy um, and, and just the communal life. And I had heard about this group of monks, these young monks in Norcia in Italy and Umbria that were starting this new community. And so I'm a person that loves innovation. I love new things and all of that. And um, I really felt God was calling me at the time to become a Benedictine monk. And uh, to be honest, it was very difficult. Uh, the life, talk about 4 a.m., that's when we would have our yeah. daily matins. So it was like maybe back in high school with visiting Pope John Paul got me ready for it. I don't know. So what what is grandma thinking of this? Like, oh, hey, my grandma. Hey, hey, grandma, I'm going to, to yeah. Italy yeah. and yeah. now I'm going to be a monk. Yeah. yeah, I mean, what does what grandma do you think? think? What do you think? Uh, I think grandma wouldn't know what to think of yeah. that. I, but I also feel like this is based on what I know yeah. about Aloha. I yeah. feel like she'd be like, baby, I love you and I want you to follow this beautiful thing. Yeah. So she was she was kind of like what you're saying, Danielle. Mm-hmm. At the same time, she was really sad that I was leaving. That's yeah. true. It's very difficult for her. Like when I, when I came back after two years away and she was just like, you know, sad that I was going to be leaving again. And, but she said this, she said something to me that I never understood because I'm like, um, what? So she (laughs) says to me, you'll be coming back here and you'll Mm -hmm. be doing work here. And I was like, I, like I'm about to make profession right. in this monastery for the rest so, of my life. Because Benedictines make a vow to their location, yeah, to, don't they? Yeah, a vow of stability yeah. of of yeah, in, of the location. So I'm like, yeah, I'll be back for my like ten day, you know, family <laughs> visits. I, I, I you know, right. I just didn't foresee actually me coming back. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that always was in the back of my mind. Like, I wonder, is this part of what my grandma felt? Uh, when she told me that, like what I'm doing now, I, I just wonder that sometimes. Um, so anyway, in the monastery, we were, uh, a new foundation of monks, um, very zealous, a good zeal for, for Jesus, a good zeal for the church. Um, at the same time as a new foundation, we were moving from being more apostolic. So we would have parish. We had one parish under us. I helped out with Italian first communion kids. Like a lot of my parish life then was the Italian life. Like that's how it was. And so, um, we ended up, you know, um, becoming much more of a contemplative community. So more within the cloister, more within the internal community. Yeah. And I just felt like I've been, I'm such a people's person. Yeah. Like, I just, that was a little bit too much for me and, and to some of my other brothers. And I knew that God was calling me to the ministerial priesthood. And it took some, some courage for me to write my superiors. But when I wrote them and talked to them about it, they were like, we totally understand. And we totally support this. You know, the community is changing. 
We are becoming a more contemplative community. And guess what, Brother John? You're like totally a people's person. So like right. we get it, you know. So um, that's kind of how I ended up here. I I was actually planning not staying here. Like it was going to be my touchdown place. Yeah. But like Detroit was not going to be the place that I wanted to stay. I was going to I was planning on moving toward toward the Diocese of Brooklyn. But. I remember so clearly, it was a Holy Thursday of 2016, um, I was doing my Lexio Divina, and I remember just this voice, um, just that same voice that kind of stirred me to become Catholic, saying, pursue the priesthood in the Archdiocese of Detroit. Yeah. yeah. And it's literally, that's... that's That was Solana's Casey talking <laughs> to you. Let, let, me, yeah. let me help Maybe you discern that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Here. Thank you. Thank you so much. That, that's an awesome story. Yeah. It's awesome to hear how God worked through all these different people in your yeah. life and brought you kind of a journey. You weren't thinking this is the end or this is right. the end, but brought you through all those places. Right. That's awesome. Thank yeah. you for joining us. And thank you for sharing that with us as yeah. well. Thank you so much. Man. Thank you both. Deacon John. Yes. How do you feel about talking a little bit about the pastoral letter, Unleash the Gospel? Unleash the Gospel. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. All right. Well, let's be about it. Let's let's unleash the gospel. Yes, first exactly. time, first impressions. Deacon John, where are you? Where do you read the letter? Okay, so I remember it was at my summer assignment, St. Louis de Marillac. Yeah. Another in Warren. Out. Yes, in Warren. Yeah. Twelve into Quinder. Um I remember going, I was biking to the coffee shop in uh, Royal Oak, and I read the letter there because I really thought, if this is going to be about evangelization, I want to see the people that we should be evangelizing. That's so cool. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Right? So, and it was summertime too, so uh, hanging out at a coffee shop outside in Royal, in Royal yeah, Oak. It's right? really beautiful. So, yeah. and you read it, what do you think? My first impression was that this letter is a truly Catholic synodal uh, post letter like it's not though it is for the mm-hmm. archdiocese of detroit it's a letter that can be applied to any diocese in the u.s and i would have to say it could be applied universally so real catholic uh synodal letter um is, so, is that what you mean by catholic like that catholic it, in the sense of universal yes yeah mm-hmm. okay. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That it can apply to the circumstances, yeah, right. any place. But you know, I also think it was written like for us, to mm-hmm. us yeah. here in Detroit. And um, I got a real flavor, a real yeah. feeling that it's it's Detroit, like it speaks yeah. Detroit in some ways, Definitely. right? And Definitely. Now, now I'm born and raised here, yeah. spent my whole life here. You're uh, Mr. Half and half. Little bit. Uh, however long in, in St. Louis, <laughs> a little bit decade and a half in uh, Italia, <laughs> you know, yeah. d- d- doing all that. So right. it's cool to see how, how you see it as this kind of universal yeah. uh, letter that, right. that other people can pick up and right. be inspired right. by. Right. What's the most challenging thing you see in the letter? And, uh, you know, we gave you some, some time ahead yeah. of time to think about that. And yeah. I know you talked about uh, thinking about time of racism yeah. here in the area, even in the church. Mm-hmm. Can you, uh, as an African-American man yes. who grew up partly here, partly in St. Louis, mm-hmm. I mean, can you talk about um, what that means to you? Definitely. And I'm glad you brought this up, Father Polis. So for me, when I first got here and uh, there was that whole, there was the the pre-setting up to the letter, the the Senate. The, Can we pause? The, yeah. And when you say you just got here, you mean after 
coming from Italy to yeah, Detroit. Yeah, that's right. Okay. That's right. So when I got, which was, so I came back 2000, February 2016 here in Detroit. Wow. That's okay. when I moved back to the mm-hmm. U.S. was here in Detroit 2016, February. When I joined the seminary was six months later, actually nine months later uh, in August. And I remember as we were preparing for the Senate or as the Archdiocese was preparing for the Senate, um, there was that massive pardon. Yeah. And before the Mass of Pardon, even, we had a particular Mass at St. Augustine's in Monica where people were able to talk about some of the racisms that they experienced here in Detroit and in the Archdiocese of Detroit in some of our uh, churches. And for me, it was a shock, sort of, but it was also like, what a courageous thing the archbishop, along with the entire archdiocese, is stepping up and owning up to it and asking for pardon. Mm-hmm. Like, where do you see that? The last time I remember that happening was in 2000 with Pope John Paul. Here we go again, right? Right. That someone would step up who represents officially the church and says, I ask for forgiveness for this was something great and recognizing it. I think that was one of the one of the main reasons why I stayed in Detroit, because I'm like, wow, they have recognized, the Archbishop has recognized this as a sin, as something bad, and something that needs and should change, must change. So for me, it really touched me because I do have uh, family members, obviously, mm-hmm. here in Detroit who remember the riots and who um, are, uh, who have been subjected to racism you know and i've met other people even within our own archdiocese who remember they couldn't go to such and such church because of the color of their skin they had to go to this other church um some of these people are still alive today and i've conversed with them and talked with them and all of that so the fact that the the archdiocese and the fact that the letter addresses that i think it's a great move a great step forward and i would even say like a leap forward because where do you see that happening in our churches today throughout the US throughout the world um so to me that's that's a it just it just it was beautiful to witness and be a part of that massive parting maybe that's the part i cried at maybe maybe because i remember yeah. two ladies back there who just understood yeah what the archbishop was doing you know i remember being very i was i was also there and i was very moved at by the that mass too. for pardon oh yeah yeah, yeah. That was a, an amazing step. And, you know, uh, to me, it made all the sense in the world. Right. So I was the archbishop's secretary yes. at that time. Mm-hmm. We were gearing up for this really what what we believed, I, I think, um, was clear the Holy Spirit was moving in our church. Yeah. And in order for us to take a step forward to say, okay, this is who yeah. we need to be, we have to say uh, we need to be ready to do that, right? Yeah. Christ's first words are repent. And believe in the gospel. Yes. And we can't really lean <laughs> in to all that it means to believe mm-hmm. in the gospel, right. to share the gospel, yeah. unless we're ready to say, I'm going to do away with everything that was not of the gospel yeah. before me. So it made all the sense in the world to me. Yeah. I couldn't believe the number of people who came up to me and said, that was so yeah. beautiful. Yes. That was just what we needed. Yeah. I can't believe the archbishop had the courage to yeah. do that. And I just thought, man, this makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. And it was... Incredible to hear how much it meant to people. Yeah. 
Definitely. Well, I mean, I guess you can say, hey, this makes a lot of sense, but just because something's the right thing to do, if it's scary and hard, a lot of people aren't going to do it. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So, no, that, that's true. So, yeah. um, I, and I guess like hearing this, I just think like, like it was a super powerful thing, but I mean, as a church, I feel like this is a continual thing too that we can always kind of be yeah. repenting of. And sure. I, I think so. I, I mean, Danielle, you're right. I think it is something, it was a leap forward, but yeah. it doesn't stop there. This right? is not like the final step. Right. This is like the first one. That's right. And the letter speaks about that. I mean, I think, yeah. you know, Father, you have a commission going now of how to address that. I know the Archbishop himself has spoken to me about what, what he would like to see in the archdiocese in terms of reaching out to the African-American community. So I know that there, uh, yeah, there's going to be other steps and leaps to, to go. But I think that if we didn't do that, we wouldn't be able to move forward. Right. Because it just would remain in the minds of those people, you know, and it just remains in the kids too. Like, well, my grandmother couldn't go, you know, to right. such and such church. So, right. Saying I'm sorry is such an important thing, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Like, exactly. like it, it's yeah. what we teach little yeah. children, yeah. right? Yeah. Say you're sorry. Yeah. And, but for us as adults yeah. to say we're sorry for what we've done. Yeah. And then on behalf of the church, whether we're priests yeah. or whether we're lay people to be able to just, you know, to be leaders and say, yeah, I know bad stuff happened, yeah. and but we, we, we need forward. to say we're sorry for that, yes. right? Acknowledge mm-hmm. that so that people who have been hurt yeah. can really clearly say, yeah, that they, mm-hmm. my my hurt is validated. That's they right. understand it. Yes. Uh, but we don't need to just uh, – we don't need to be stuck there right. either. I That's don't know right. if that makes sense, right? No, I totally be- agree. Because, yeah. like, our mission is to bring Jesus. Yes. And that's what we're about. That's right. That's so right. if we're thinking about habits, right, this is kind of one of them, repenting, saying these things. But the letter also talks about other habits as That's well. Right. Mm-hmm. So Bad habits bad and habits good habits. and good habits. Do you have yes. thoughts on either of these, bad or good? Both. Well, yes, Both I do. And. Yeah, well, some bad habits. I mean, obviously, it's so easy um, for us in the church and, and, all, and, and even those outside of the church to look at the church. In the worldly, the worldly notion of the church, you know, the Catholic church, Catholic church has so much money or right. has so much property in Detroit or, you know, in the metro area or so many schools or the great teams and, you know, the great education, um, or it's involved in politics or whatnot. Um, I think that is a way that, uh, some people, uh, can look at the church and something we need to definitely avoid if we're going to preach and teach Jesus Christ. Who is the founder of the church, right? And the head of the church, yes. right? We're his mystical body. And yes. I think the part of the worldly notion of the church is what you're talking about, yeah. kind of the the physical, material part. But it's also like the way we think about it, right? Yeah. So this parish, St. Charles Parish yeah. in Newport, can be like branch number 142, <laughs> right, 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 right. branch manager, <laughs> pastor there, yeah. right? Yeah. Like that we we move the understanding of the church into either a business or a political yeah. uh, way of thinking about yeah. it instead of saying like, no, like these are my brothers and sisters. Yes. Yeah. This is the family we're part of. Yes. And we're here as pilgrims on the way to heaven. Yes. And I want to live that reality. Yes. What good habits do you see? Good habits. Um, well, apostolic boldness. What does that mean to you? It's funny, the Archbishop actually, you know, he meets with the seminarians twice a year. Yeah, uh, not too long ago, right? Yeah, he just met with us. Well, 
our, my first year here, he spoke on apostolic boldness and and what he really wants us to be is to be bold about preaching and teaching and living Jesus Christ, right? Mm-hmm. So that means I have to not fear, which is another kind of bad habit, right? I right. can fear what people might think or might say, but that I'm bold in what I want to do, that I, um, I'm not afraid to step out and do something, that I'm not afraid to pray over someone. You know, the other day, it's funny. I was in at the new coffee shop in Royal Oak. Look I don't know if guy. I can. Can I say the I, name? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Dessert Oasis. Yeah. They have a new, new spot in uh, Royal Oak downtown. And I, I go there. Uh, well, I go to the one downtown a lot. But I, when I stepped in, I had my collar on. Yeah. And I knew two of the, the guys that work there. And immediately we get into this discourse and conversation. But I felt like. I can talk about my faith in such a way that I don't have to fear what these cool looking hipster guys are going to think about me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, this is who I am. So, yeah. and they embrace that. They want, to be quite honest, they want that. It's being authentic. Yeah, yes. Being honestly yourself. I guess, like, so on that, being apostolically bold, yes. where is Jesus pushing you out of your comfort zone? Where do you see that happening? Well, I mean, like, you're already a friendly guy, you yeah. know? So I feel like to walk into a coffee shop and be like, sup, friends? I'm into <laughs> Jesus. Like, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, you know, that's, that's kind of a part of who you are. So yeah. where where are the, the tricky parts? So I'm really like, you know, I have to finish. I'm a full-time student right now. So yeah. I have to, like, kind of control my thoughts to my papers and studying <laughs> until I finish seminary and get ordained a priest. So I, I try not to spend too much time on like lots of things that I want to do in terms of being apostolically bold. But I think one of the, the, the most immediate ones is starting my own podcast. It'll be a little simple podcast. Teaser trailer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where we will focus on, um, faith and culture, like how faith has influenced the, the current culture and how culture has, uh, has elements of the faith in it and not so much being influenced by, but has elements uh, of the faith in, in it. That's awesome. Danielle, let me put you on the spot. Where yes. have, where oh, have you, you done go. like <laughs> yes. apostolic boldness? Yes. I mean, um, because you're a pretty bold person. How, yeah. uh, how do you see living this out? Um, I guess I would say, so I, I guess it was like, there's, I guess a couple of ways. And I feel like the things that I'm like, Oh my gosh, you mentioned Saints Augustine and Monica. So that's actually my parish. It's where oh, I, wow. that's okay. my, that's East my home parish. Yes. Yeah. Even though mm-hmm. I don't, um, that's not the one I work at. Yeah. I work at a different one in Southwest. So, um, and I had this idea to do this, like, like the, in my mind, I'm like, this is a great idea. And <laughs> we opened these churches in all of Detroit. So Detroit, um, Actually, you know, so it's called the Motor City, but that's, that's one right. nickname of many, right. many nicknames. And for uh, a long stretch of time, it was known uh, as the City of Churches oh, because wow. there are so really? many churches here. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't yeah, know that right. But honestly, Beautiful. drive the, through the Detroit and you're Midwest. like, look at all these churches. <laughs> so I was like, oh, my gosh, here's an idea. Like we open the churches, we have art in the churches and people bike yes. from church to church. And um, I wanted to do this. But then also I was like terrified to do this. And I remember I was just praying about it because I was so scared. And I... I'd be in my church praying and like, like crappy praying. I'd be like, this is my prayer. Jesus, 
please make me brave. Like that's it <laughs> over and over and over. It's like one sentence of prayer. So I'm thinking about this. I'm like too scared to bring it up on, to the staff meetings. And I went to mass and um, Monsignor Trapp came up to me and he's like, hey, Danielle, how's everything going? And I'm like, hey, Monsignor Trapp, I don't know. I'm just afraid of a lot of things. And sometimes I just ask Jesus to help me to be brave. This guy just looks at me in the face and he's like, you know what you need to be praying against is the spirit of fatality, which is the fear that something will go wrong before you even start. Wow. Turns around and walks away like he didn't just completely drop change the my mic. Life, That's right? a mic drop. So yeah. I know, right? And so I was like, huh. So anyway, um, so I go to my boss and I'm like, hey, friend, I'm like, I have this idea and it's like open the churches, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't know that it's going to be successful, but like, I think my friends will come and there'll be like 15 to 20 people. That's just like my, I'm like, so my goal is like 30 people. Spoiler alert, 250 yes, people I showed was there. up. Did you? Yes. Oh yeah, that's how I met you. Yes, yes. Thanks for coming. Thanks I, for believing in, in, in that. So let me Holy just, Rolling? Holy Rolling Holy is Rolling. what it was called. And yeah. they did the second annual one. Yeah, this, last year. Let me just say to the first one, uh-huh. so two friends of mine, they were like, hey, do you want to do this bike thing? Holy Rolling. And I thought already the concept, when I heard the title, uh-huh. I was like, that's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> it's downtown, midtown, Holy Rolling with the, you know, the slow road and yeah. all of that. I was like, wow, I wonder who put this together. So they were, oh, you got to meet Daniel Center. So we get there and we see all these people. And you just, it was like, it was amazing. It yeah. was amazing to Like, to, honestly, to do through that. the grace of God, though, because yeah. if it was up to me, I'd still be just be scared in my church praying. Uh, I'm glad. Jesus, make me brave. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that is awesome. Yeah. Both what, you know, what God did in you, but how he used just a simple yeah. little, yeah. like Monsignor Trap coming up to you and asking you, like, how you doing? Yes. Your ability to respond authentically. Yeah. And then from there, uh, all these people's lives who have been touched. I think that's what we need. You know, when Definitely. the when the letter talks about a spirit of innovation, yes. these good habits tie in with each other, right? Definitely. And I think another one that you had written down that um, I think ties into that is that spirit of cooperation, right? Yeah. And I was honestly, I, what I was most, one of the things I was most afraid of is I was like, I'm going to call these churches. I'm going to be like, hi, I'm this woman. I want to do this thing. There's going to be bikers. I don't know how many. And I was like, it's, it would be so easy for all of these churches to say no. It would be so easy. Yeah. And they all said yes, yeah. which was like just such. And one even wrote to me and was like, hi, we're hurried. You're doing this. Do you want to stop at our church too? Which I had to wait till the next year. But what a beautiful spirit of cooperation yeah. to be like, hey, we believe in what you're doing and we're going to follow up with yeah, that. So I was really touched by that. Yeah, there's always a hundred reasons to say no. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. we do have to be smart. We're not, you know, we got limited resources, right, limited right. time, all that. Yeah. But there's always a reason to say no. And what I feel like from Unleash the Gospel, kind of one of the macro things, is the permission to make mistakes here. Yeah. The permission to say, okay, we're not just going to do things the way we've done yeah. it, right? Yeah. Whether it's holy rolling, whether it's Podcast. holy coffee shopping. Yeah. Uh, Amen. <laughs> or, or whether it's, you know, this this little podcast yeah, thing. Like, like We have the permission now to say, if we're going to be disciples, we're empowered with the Holy Spirit, living in the beauty of everything the Catholic Church offers us. But a, a readiness and a willingness to go out and yes. to make a mistake yes. in our desire to be bold. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and and that's got to be the way forward, I, I think, I for totally us as a agree. church, for parishes, yeah. to say, okay, doing the same thing over and over and over again is not going to be that's the right. solution. That's right. And so we may be afraid about how successful this will be, but 
we got to try something. Yeah. We got to go out there. And we got to be bold yeah. because we've been given permission. You these days? What is scaring me? Uh, what isn't scaring me these <laughs> days? You know, yeah. Father Steve so is the place. director of evangelization for the archdiocese. Right. Catechesis in school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, sorry, left a few out there. So you know what actually scares me uh, right now? I'm teaching a course at the seminary mm-hmm. and I've never taught before. Really? Wow. And it's three and a half hours long. <laughs> But you, I'm sure you're great at that. Yeah, I think I so. mean, you have a it, great it, personality yeah, for teaching. It, it, so that's really intimidating for me because yeah. it's a new thing. I've never yeah. done it yeah. before. Yeah. And so that's uh, exam. That, that's scary. How are the exams going to be? The the students said they didn't want an exam. So dance. so we're wow. <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're figuring figuring that part out. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll do some presentations because uh, you know the the course is about the new evangelization and i think it's you know if i'm going to be honest with what i was just saying uh we have to try some things yeah, and definitely. and i want them to try as i'm trying as we're all trying um to share what this means to to be uh, part of the joyful band of missionary disciples, Definitely. and so I'm making them do presentations in the class. Wow, amazing! And that's how I'm justifying it. Amazing! So. No, it's really good. It sounds there, great. There, there's something to that, like what you guys are saying, and I don't want to keep on like Saint Pope John Paul. And even though I kind of made this a theme tonight, but he, you know when he first goes out onto the uh, to the loggia and he goes, "Non abbiate paura," you know, don't have fear. Mm. Mm. You know, that's just it's just like. That's what the letter seems to be calling every single Catholic in the Archdiocese of Detroit, not just like Daniel or Father Polis or Deacon John or anybody. Everybody is called to do something in this, and we can't have fear. So, Deacon John? Yes. Can you speak a word to the listeners? about this like a like maybe a word of prayer encouragement maybe a like you just gave us a great quote from john paul ii but like summing it up moving forward someone's someone's listening and they're they feel maybe maybe something right it's like the you of like do i do this do i not do this and what's your word to them my word to them is don't have fear jesus is there jesus is with you the Holy Spirit wants to guide you. And as you think about this, think about all of those people who will be affected by whatever idea you have to bring the Son of God to their lives. And so don't have fear. Jesus is here. Amen. Thanks, Amen. Thanks Deacon. Yes, thank you. Thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure. Yes. Well, that was a great and honest conversation with Deacon John. Hearing his experience of what it meant to grow up in the Catholic faith, his experience of John Paul II and what a profound impact uh, the Holy Father had on his life, and then to hear the challenges, the struggles, the difficulties that our church has had and continues to have as we reach out to our brothers and sisters in the African-American community. I'm excited to see what God will do in Deacon John's life here in the Archdiocese of Detroit as together we unleash the gospel. Next time, we'll talk to world traveler Juliana Carlini. We'll ask her how she unleashed the gospel on a trip halfway around the world. Be sure to subscribe and like us on iTunes and to bring your friends along for the ride. And if the Holy Spirit has inspired you while listening today, be sure to pass this episode along to someone else who might enjoy it. 
Open Door Policy was recorded and produced at Sacred Heart Major Seminary for the Archdiocese of Detroit by Ron Pangborn, who hates people who talk in the morning time in the sacristy. Join us next time when we ask. <laughs> who gets up at 4 a.m., right? <laughs> yes. yes. I'm Father Steve Pullis with Danielle Center. And this has been another episode of Open Door Policy. 